Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler here as we are every week. And we're going to talk, uh, as we do every week, we're going to talk prospects, we're going to talk a little bit about major leagues, you know, probably touch on some things that will have some uh, some fantasy baseball implications. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you, DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play instead of fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play, with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter promo code BAPODCAST, and they'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use the promo code BAPODCAST. That's again, thanks again to our sponsors at DraftDay.com. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're big fans of, of them, and we're big fans that they're, uh, they're helping us out here on the podcast. So, Ben, it's been a, another kind of crazy week. We've got some pretty notable news happening at the big league level. We t- we're recording this on Thursday. It'll go up on Friday. So as we record this, we don't know how Michael Walker is going to pitch tonight. Although uh, the fact that he's pretty good and the fact that he's facing a, a very slumping Royals team seems to go pretty well. What you know, and have some pretty good indications for him. Uh, we have Alex Wood is up with the Braves now. Another 2012 draftee. They're the third and fourth. Whichever one gets into the game first, I guess Waka probably get in the game first. So the third and fourth players from the 2012 draft to make their their big league debuts, joining Kevin Gossman, who came up last week, and, and Paco Rodriguez with the Dodgers, who's been up pretty much all year now, and, and actually came up at the end of last year. So one of the things we did want to talk about this week is, is just that's it's not unprecedented, but it is a definite artifact of the new CBA because. Before the new CBA, you had MLB with a lot of the first-round picks saying, no, 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 you can work to deal, but we're not going to allow you to announce it until you know, right at the signing deadline. So you had these, the insanity of all these different players who you knew were, had reached agreements, but you had to wait to August 15th for them to sign, which meant they didn't make their major league debuts until uh, the next year. You look at a guy like Michael Waka. Michael Waka is a big leaguer now, less than a year after he was pitching uh, in college baseball. He, there's no way he's doing that if under the old rules. Has he been? No, I mean, under the old rules, you know, look, look what he did last year. He got up to double play. Yeah, he, he didn't pitch that many innings there, but I don't think that you're going to take a guy who you sign on August 15th, put him in the Gulf Coast League for maybe a couple of innings at most – you know, or a couple of outings at most, if that, or if, if you even let him keep pitching, especially for college guys, a lot of them like to, you know, shut them down at that point and, and not have them try to get started back up after a, a layoff. But you're not going to just take a guy who goes from there and then say, all right, we're going to start him in triple A the next year with a very rare exception. But in Waka's case, he was able to show the Cardinals, yeah, I can – I, not only can I handle, you know, the Florida State League, not only can I handle double A, but I can dominate there. And, and I'm sure big league camp helped him out as well. But I think that earlier signing deadline is something that's allowed somebody like him 
or somebody like Kevin Gaussman to move at a, a faster rate than they would have if, if they had just signed, you know, August 15th and, and not gotten their career started earlier. Yeah. And, and the thing that also has allowed him to do is, is kind of pretty quickly show that he may be one of the, uh, steal of the 2012 draft a little strong. I mean, this, we are talking about a, a pretty prominent first round pick, but he, he fell in the draft last year really kind of for reasons. It's hard to almost explain why he fell so far. And you, you look at it now, there, there were some questions when he came out. Is this guy going to be a, uh, a reliever or a starter long term? We, we had the debate that we have on the podcast. that seems every week, but in, in Waka's case, it, it sure looks like he's going to be able to be a starter. Uh, the things that jump out with him, uh, it's really good fastball. He gets really good angle on the fastball. He pitches down in the zone, really good change up. The breaking ball's gotten better and better. That, that'll be the pitch we got to see how it does at the big league level. But of the of you know, even comparing him to Kevin Gossman, I, I kind of like Waka's chances of being able to step in and have some success early in his uh, you know big league career a little bit more than Gossman. Agree or disagree, Ben? Uh, you know, I, I think they're, they have some similarities in that they're more, you know, fastball change of guys. That's their strength. And, and for both guys, that's always a concern with me for a right-handed pitcher. You got to feel, I mean, you got to be able to, to get hitters out with a good breaking ball, especially if you're uh, a right-handed pitcher, I think to be able to have success in the big leagues, I think lefties may be able to get away with it a a little bit more. They're going to be facing more guys from, you know, who are right-handed hitters, so that changeup is more effective. I think the deception helps a little bit uh, if they can bring that to the table too. But uh, you know, for for right-handed pitchers, that's you know that's a concern for me, and I think you're seeing that uh, a little bit in, in Waka's strikeout rate in AAA, about you know almost a little under six per nine innings, which is you know okay. It's it's not great. Uh, obviously, he's he's been able to keep runs off the board. Uh, to me, I, I think that you know I, I'd, I'd rather have Gossman right now uh, than Waka. I, I think that in terms of being able to throw strikes, command his fastball, you know, I, I think Waka is is right there, compares favorably. But you know, I think that uh, Gossman is is a little bit more advanced right now than 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 Waka, even though he wasn't pitching, you know, at the same level, obviously as as Waka was. No. They're two. They're two very uh, intriguing. Two of the better starting pitching prospects in the game right now. Uh, the other guy, I think we've talked a little bit about on the podcast before, but I, I think we're both kind of fascinated by Alex Wood, left-hander, uh, supplemental. You know, signed out of uh, Georgia last year, fell out of the first round really because he's got a very funky delivery. A uh, left-hander can run it up to 95, but the delivery is not. Um, ideal by any stretch of the imagination it, it's not a, uh, a delivery that you'd ever teach anyone to do he's got a lot of times he has enough with a little hop at the end of his uh, follow-through the thing about it though is, is it, it has been effective and he does command uh his his fastball he does command his pitches despite that delivery uh, long term I, I think we you know we've done this conversation before i think we both would like to see him get a chance to start long term but short term as a reliever I think he could be pretty good because you're talking about a guy who can run it up. Coming out of the pen, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a lefty who's, who's touching 97, you know, 96, 97, maybe 98 at his best because we were seeing him touching 95 in the middle innings as a starter. May you know get a little bit, may even add a little tick to that as a, as a reliever. 
the the Braves need a little bit of relief help. He seems like a guy who who at least to me could fit that role and, and give them something that they need. Uh, you know, what do you think? Yeah, if if you need him in a relief role, I think he could fill that right now. Like you said, it's the mechanics make you wonder. Well, how is he going to throw strikes and repeat his delivery? But he does it. So yeah, it's 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 unorthodox. It probably adds to his deception, and and then that probably helps him. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it has some positives and and some drawbacks to it. But but for him, it, it works. He's able to repeat his delivery. He's able to throw strikes. He's able to command his stuff. Like you said, you put him in the bullpen as a starter. He's he's going to sit in the low nineties with his fastball. He'll probably touch ninety five, ninety six if he needs it. You put him in the bullpen. He's going to be probably sitting. 94 to 96 and who knows you may even have a little bit more in there that you haven't been able to see as a starting pitcher so long term i'd like to see him stay as a starting pitcher i don't see any reason why he can't unless somehow he gets injured and and then there becomes durability questions with him but um you know and obviously he's a guy who has had had you know tommy john surgery in his past so maybe there's there's some concern there about durability but for now i'd like to see him stay in a starter's role. But yeah, if you put him in the bullpen right now, he's a guy who can help the, the major league team right away. So that's the, uh, the, the good news of the, the week, as far as we have prospects coming up to the big leagues uh, on the flip side. And this is what we're probably going to spend the, the majority of the podcast talking about. Cause I think we both find it kind of fascinating. The Mariners this week kind of uh, cleaned house, I guess is the best word for it. They brought up Nick Franklin. They sent down Jesus Montero. They sent down Dustin Ackley. Uh, Justin Spokes hurt right now. You, you add it all up, and and really, I guess, not a good week for uh, for the Mariners because this really is kind of the the sign that the youth movement that they've really been building to for for several years. A, a, cop, a couple of the cornerstones of that have have really kind of fallen flat, and they have to kind of figure if there's any way to rebuild their confidence, rebuild their swings, whatever they need to do to get them back in, and to being productive big league players. Ben, you know, what jumps out to you about, uh, I guess, I've been calling scouts and trying to ask them what do they think is the reason for, uh, especially for Ackley uh, struggling, and I'm having trouble getting anyone who has who has kind of a clear answer on, on what they think is the problem with Ackley, but uh, I, I think you have some interesting thoughts on, on what you think's happened to the Mariners, and I think you also, you saw the Eric Wedge comments, is there anything there that makes any sense, or did you think... You know that that was just adding to the uh, to the bad week for the Mariners. Well, I think in it's it's a different case for each guy. With I mean, with with Ackley, one of the things that that jumps out to me is that he just doesn't look like he's very strong, and and that's hard to tell from appearance sometimes. But I mean, you look at his power numbers, look at his isolated power. The last three years, it, it keeps going down. He's, he's not really driving the ball with any authority. So whether that's an issue of strength or uh, an approach issue uh, or, or something mechanical that he's doing at the plate, um, whatever it is, he needs to be able to, if, if you're not a threat to be hitting for extra bases, pitchers are going to attack you differently. And, and right now, Ackley just isn't much of a threat to be able to to drive the ball with any authority. So yeah, pitchers are going to go right after him. And, and if you're just going to, you know, it, it's good to have plate discipline, but if you're going to 
you know, try to work a lot of deep counts, you're going to work a lot of deep counts <laughs> that you're going to be hitting from, you know, uh, behind in the count because pitchers aren't afraid of, of what he's going to do when, when they do go over the play with him. So I, I think to me, that's one of the issues that, that he's, I mean, what have, what have you seen from, from those guys? Well, Ackley's the one that everyone seems the most surprised about. You know, with, right. with Montero, hey, he's the, uh, he's a premium prospect. There's no doubt about that. But if you said that, that, Jesus Montero was going to struggle, and he's still very young. I mean, he still could put it together. But if you said that Jesus Montero was going to struggle, especially if you added in the detail, if we rewound the clock three years ago and you said, hey, a team's going to try to catch Jesus Montero regularly, and he's going to struggle. You could find a lot of scouts, you know, a lot of smart people in the game who would say, yeah, I could see that happening, that he's going to struggle. Because he's in over his head defensively trying to catch on a regular basis. Because as we've been saying for years, there's no real indication that this guy can catch on a regular basis. Okay, so there's a there's a there's some reasoning there. Ackley, I've yet to find someone who really is not shocked that he's kind of fallen apart. And, and there's and really I, I don't know of another way to put it, but he's fallen apart because the thing about it is is that his rookie year, if he just kept doing that, he would never have reached the level that that kind of was projected for him. But he, he would be a solid, probably 10-year regular if he just was a guy, the guy who was what Dustin Ackley was as a rookie. He's just gotten significantly worse since then. And, and that's the part that really kind of surprises people because, again, there were questions about from guys who were like, okay, is he going to be a second baseman? I mean, is that his best position or, or would he be better in the outfield? So there's that question. But even the guys I talked to, I remember talking to a scout right when he actually came up and he wasn't a big Ackley fan but his knock was he said you know I think he's just going to be okay he said I don't think he's going to be a star I don't think that there's anything he does well enough to be a star I think he'll be you know a, a long-term regular but not really an all-star or anything like that and that was a guy who wasn't a big Ackley fan I don't think I remember talking to anyone at the time who, who saw this happening where you say you know he's going to hit 200 with no Really no on base, no power. The speed isn't making any kind of impact in the game. There's just nothing there that's really valuable to a big league club. That's, I think that's pretty surprising. That's pretty shocking. And the other thing that does jump out with this is that we are talking about a situation now that what this means is the Mariners, I don't know any other way to put it, it's almost like the last couple of years have been wasted. Is that too harsh or... You know, you look at this was a team that was kind of being counted on to be built around Ackley, Montero, Smoke. The, the only guys who are really producing for the uh, Mariners are, are Seeger, who I don't think even they kind of expected him to, to be as productive as he's been. And, and really the other guys who are producing for the, for the Mariners offensively are all the older stopgap guys that were kind of just brought in to kind of hold the fort I, I don't think that they're really can count on Jason Bay long term or you know Mike Morse Kendrys Morales those are not the guys that they're really looking at this cornerstone guys those were the guys to kind of just tie things over but you look at it now no Ackley no Montero you know hello Nick Franklin maybe before too long hello Brad Miller this team seems like it's starting another rebuilding process what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, what, what you said about Ackley was, was right. I mean, this guy has always just been a pure hitter. You watch him swing, it's, it's short to the ball. It's a compact stroke. He has good bat speed. Uh, you know, he has good play discipline. Whereas with Montero, you could see there's, there's some things that he does that are a little bit more unorthodox, just the way that he swings. He gets out front on his front foot, but it's always been able to work for him. And he, and he has, you know, at least plus, if, if not better power to be able to make it work up through double A. And remember, that, I mean, when he got to triple A initially, um, or that, and I shouldn't say initially, but that, that's, I think it was that second year when he was in Scranton, he had some struggles there. So he, he has some history of, you know, having to take some time to adjust to more advanced pitching. And I'm not surprised that it's, it's taken him a little bit of time to, to be able to adjust. And he hasn't adjusted yet, but that's not surprising that his initial, uh, you know, year or first year and a half in the big leagues is, is not, he's not tearing it up yet. Whereas Ackley, everything is there for him. You would think to be able to hit immediately. That's why to me, the power is, is more the issue with him. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, they, they do have, it, it, they're, they're the core of their lineup for the future is supposed to revolve around guys like, you know, the guys you just mentioned around Mike Zanino, you know, they do have, they do have a good farm system. They have pitching that's close to being ready, but yeah, if, if, if you know, two or three of these guys that they're counting on to be in, in the middle of their lineup for the future don't pan out, then then yeah, you you've got to you got to worry about that. And, and the thing you just look at it is, okay, so where is this team? I mean, this team is quite clearly not a team that looks to contend this year. Okay, we kind of probably knew that before the season started, but this is. <laughs> This is the danger of when you're a, a, a you're a bad team that's been bad for a while, is that for the fan base and all, it's one thing to preach patience, but when you have one of these rebuilding efforts and the rebuilding doesn't go well, it's a really hard sell to go back and say, hey fans, we got bad news. I mean, now we're building around Mike Zanino and Nick Franklin and maybe Brad Miller and these young and Taiwan Walker and Danny Holson and all those guys coming up to join Felix Hernandez. Well, the, the, the real problem with that is, is that you're, you're talking about a situation where you go, hey, Mike Zanino's probably going to need some time to adjust in the big leagues. Same with Nick Franklin, same with Brad Miller, same with Taiwan Walker, all those guys. So the, the scary thing is, is you, you really got to hope if you're the, the Mariners that a couple of these guys can get it figured out. The difficulty with that, though, is, okay, you send them to AAA. And they're going to the P. They're not just going to the PCL, but they're going to the west side of the PCL. The good news is that that's going to help their confidence. <laughs> Ackley and Montero were both in the lineup yesterday for Tacoma in a game I watched part of on uh, MILB TV, uh, where they beat Colorado Springs. They were leading Colorado Springs 25 to one in the sixth inning. That's what playing games in Colorado Springs and Reno and some of those other parks. That's what happens. The problem with that though is just that. It's obviously you're going to have to drill down much more on, okay, has Jesus Montero, are the things that are, if it works for him in AAA, are the things that are working in AAA going to work if he comes back up? With Dustin Ackley, are the things that are working for him in AAA, are they going to work if he comes back up? And that's where it's going to be difficult because it's really a lot, it's a whole lot easier to hit well in the PCL than it is in the American League. 
And so the you know if Dustin Ackley goes down and has uh, 300, 400, 450 first month, that doesn't necessarily mean hey Dustin Ackley's fixed. You're gonna have to drill down a lot closer on okay, is what was causing him problems at the big league level? Has he fixed some of those things, or is it just that he's taking advantage of the parks and of uh, a significant drop in the quality of pitching from what he was facing? But the the good news, if there is good news in this for the Mariners, Jesus Montero is 23 years old. It's it, it's something where you can say, okay, you know, you do not want to give up on that guy. I do think it's probably time. Personally, my personal opinion is it's time to give up on him as a catcher. I, I don't see if you want him to be your third catcher where it means that you can pitch hit for a light hitting catcher late innings. And if the second, second catcher gets hurt, he can go back there. That's fine. But he's never been, he, he, I don't think he ever will be a good catcher. And if you take him out of that position and say, okay, look, just focus on the offense. That's going to give him a much better chance to fix some of the offensive problems. I think than if he's continuing to worry about trying to catch, which again, that's not something he's ever going to do. Be the, It's not even really the tools are there for him to be an excellent catcher. It's just not It's not what he's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that could be part of the issue, too. Sometimes you do see catchers who take a little bit longer to get going just because, I mean, Carlos Santana early in his career was, you know, big expectations for him, and, and he was, you know, a solid player early in his career, but there's a lot that goes on, and and he wasn't a guy who even was a – he started out his minor league career at another position. So he had even more to learn. And there's just more, so much more that is put on the plate for a catcher that at the big league level to be able to control a pitching staff and everything that they have to deal with, that, yeah, sometimes it does take a little bit longer for their offense to come through. So maybe you know maybe that is part of it uh, for for the case of Montero. I, I could see that. I, I – you know, I I would like to see him stay, try to stay behind the plate a little bit longer. But you know, if they feel like this, you know, catching is is no longer an option for him, and yeah, maybe that is something that allows his 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 offense to come forward now that he's you know only focused on on hitting and, and either playing first base or, or DH. But yeah, like you said, it's it's one of the things we talked about with you know Mike Mustakis and, and Eric Hosmer too. Yeah, you can send them down to AAA, but either. One, how are you going to measure what they're doing? And two, I mean, what are you going to learn? What are they going to learn in AAA that they don't already know? I mean, they're, they're going to be down there. Maybe you rebuild their confidence if, if they start hitting more, but maybe they're just going to be bitter that they're in AAA. And the, the, way, the best way for them to learn is to – the best way for them to learn to hit major league pitching right now is to face major league pitching, not to be facing – guys in the Pacific Coast League, that's not going to do anything for them. And it's, you know, I, I think, you know, you look at what like Eric Wedge was was talking about. Um, it's it's almost the same thing where, you know, what happens in, you know, some organizations, guys come up through the minor leagues and, you know, they're told they need to change their approach to, there's it gets to the point where certain players, they get mandates, you know, don't swing at the first pitch, or, you know, they're rewarded for, for working a, a deep count, even if it gets them into, you know, two strike counts and they let a 1-0 fastball go by down the middle of the plate that they should be looking to to pull. I mean, it, they take their free-swinging prospects sometimes, and I think that they, you know, do more harm than good sometimes. 
the, I think the way for them to learn <laughs> is to, you know, let them swing at those pitches, let them make mistakes or, or with, with a guy like, you know, Ackley or, or Moustakis or, or Hosmer now, you know, yeah, work with them and, and try to, to get them to make the right adjustments, but, you know, let them have a little bit of failures is not the worst thing in the world. I mean, look at, you know, if you want to go further down, you know, the minor league, somebody pops to mind, like Javier Baez with the Cubs. There's probably only a handful of players in the minors who have better bat speed than Javier Baez. The power is plus, but the approach is not good. He, he swings at too many pitches. So how is he going to learn to take a better approach? Yeah, you can you can work with him and, and tell him about the philosophy and the approach that you want him to take at the plate. But part of the way that somebody like him is going to learn or, or somebody at the major league level is going to learn is, is by making mistakes, you know, by chasing that slider that dives off the plate. And then he realizes, oh, well, I can't hit that pitch <laughs> and I need to lay off it. You know, let him swing at that, you know, fastball in a, a 1-0 count that's right on the on the outside corner that he's going to pull and, and hit for a ground ball or shortstop. Let him learn that swing at those pitches is, is going to hurt your numbers. So, yeah, you can have the coaches talk to him about approach. You know, why did you swing at that pitch? Take me through your approach during that at bat. Here's what I would have done during that situation and, and try to improve the next time out. But, you know, you don't need to tell a player that, you know, like what Wedge was talking about, you don't need to tell a player he needs to walk in a certain percentage of his plate appearances. You just need to help him get a good pitch. Ted Starling Marte is, you know, another guy who's an example. I think he's probably going to have some regression, but but the criticism on him coming up through the minors was, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't walk enough, which is fair. But what happened is, you know, he learned to not to swing at certain pitches by swinging at them and getting himself out. And I think, that the talented guys are going to figure it out and some of them don't but it doesn't mean that you know starling Marte or, or javier baez uh or or even somebody like jesus montero who is more of a, an aggressive type of hitter doesn't mean they're going to be on base machines but you have to let them figure it out or they're not going to learn whether it's you know in the minor leagues where, where somebody like baez belongs you know in in the florida state league or or you know, just in the minor leagues versus somebody like Ackley or Moustakis or Hosmer, where these guys, yeah, it's 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 tricky because if you keep them in the lineup, it's probably going to hurt your major league team. But if you want them to be part of your future, the only way for them to learn is by making those mistakes at the big league level. Well, and, and the other thing that you, you touched on a little bit with a guy like Ackley and even a guy like Montero, when you talk about walks, one thing that's gonna that has to happen is is at the big league level, you have to demonstrate that you're dangerous to draw walks in most cases. Because the pitchers, that's one thing that does change from the minor league level. If you're selective in the minor leagues, you will walk. There are guys who aren't that selective at lower levels of the minor leagues who walk because you're just a lot of times facing pitchers who walk you. And it's not that they're trying to pitch around you or anything. It's just you face guys who, oh, he lost the strike zone right now. And that doesn't happen at the big league level. And so what you see is is you have to demonstrate that you are dangerous. And once you do that, you know, again, not everyone does it. Not everyone. And some guys, it just never comes to. I, I watched Andrew Jones, the 17-year-old turning 18-year-old in the South Atlantic League, got to see him 
you know, 70 games that year. You know what? He he was great, but yeah, he swung at sliders off the plate and he you know turn him over and you know grounded you know ground out shortstop. Well, if you looked at a 30 year old Andrew Jones, he did the same thing. He never made that adjustment really. That's always kind of been the the bane of Andrew Jones. But there also are a lot of guys who they make that adjustment. And to me, you know, if you're talking about the hope you have as a Mariners fan is, is that that Jesus Montero. I know you know you're talking about one bat's left, one bat's right, but Jesus, Jesus Montero. You look at Chris Davis's career, and Chris Davis's career may be an outlier for a lot of guys because you can make it the case for him of a guy who figures it out, and it takes him a while to figure it out. But if you looked at, at Chris Davis, a thousand at bats into his big league career, what you'd see was a guy who had some power, but generally struck out too much, didn't get on base enough, didn't hit for average enough for it to really play. It, it and that really was kind of the story of his career in Texas. Well, that breakout season he had last year, which has carried over into an even bigger breakout this year, one of the things that jumps out with that is, is that now he is walking more. Well, why is he walking more? Partly, is he's become, I'm sure it's because he's become a little bit more selective, but partly it's also because once he's demonstrated the power that he's shown now, pitchers have to be a little bit... You get to that 3-1, you know, that 3-1 count, they're not just going to they're, – they're still going to try to nibble a little bit because you know that, hey, this guy can hurt me. If, he, if, if I miss here, if I leave one over the plate, this guy can hurt me in a way that really Dustin Ackley and, and really Jesus Montero, those guys haven't demonstrated that yet. And that's really part of the problem is, is that – that's part of the problem in Kansas City. We talk about Hosmer and Stock and those, and those guys. If you don't demonstrate that you have power to hurt a pitcher if he makes a mistake – they're less likely to make mistakes against you. And I know it's kind of counterproductive, but they're less likely to pitch around you, which means that you're going to get on base, that you're going to be able to kind of cause rallies because you've got to demonstrate in a lot of cases. That's where I got like Mike O'Neill. I'm fascinated by Mike O'Neill, uh, outfielder for the Cardinals, who pretty much if you said, scouting report on Mike O'Neill, the dude walks all the time. And I mean all the time. He doesn't strike out. He walks. That being said, Mike O'Neill is a five foot nine outfielder with no power. I think he has two minor league home runs. I'm fascinated to see. Right now, his, his he's got 35 walks, 12 strikeouts this year. Last year, he had 78 walks, 26 strikeouts. He also carries a career batting average of 338 in his minor league career. I don't know if that's going to work in the big league level though, because Mike O'Neill is going to have to demonstrate that he can cause problems for you. If you throw him strikes before he's going to get nearly that many walks at the big league level, would you think? Do you think Mike O'Neill guys like that it can work, or do you think you have to demonstrate some uh, some? You got to give pitchers some fear before you're going to get big league walks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I don't think there's anybody who's really. I don't think we've really seen anybody who's like Mike O'Neill. Is is he's the thing who's he's it's. It's a it's a pretty good. It's not like he has a, a bad swing and all he's doing is getting up there and just drawing walks because he puts the bat to ball ability that he has is pretty good. But you're right. It's it's there's very little power there. He, he probably has the best strike zone discipline in the major leagues. But <laughs> we see it all the time in guys who come up. And again, I, I'm you're like you said. I'm I'm fascinated by him too. But we see so many guys who. who 
maybe don't have quite that extreme of a skill set, but it's draw a lot of walks in the minor leagues, can't really do much when you get attacked in the strike zone. And if pitchers realize at the major league level that they can beat you in the strike zone, then, yeah, you're, they're going to get taken advantage of. And all of a sudden, all those walks you were drawing in the minor leagues and that on-base percentage drops pretty precipitously. I mean, that's one of the adjustments that I think Chris Davis has made this year is to be able to shorten up his swing. He, he has tightened up his approach. I don't think he's chasing quite as many pitches outside the strike zone as he used to, at least from what I can tell. But one of the adjustments he's made is his, his swing is a little bit shorter. I think he's learning to cut down and be able to use the whole field because the raw power that he's always had, I don't think he's really added that much raw power, if anything. Oh, it's no, just now that you come out and being able to manifest itself in game situations because he's able to control what goes on in the strike zone more than more than he was before, whereas before, yeah, he had the raw power, but in the strike zone, he was getting beaten, and yeah, he was chasing too much, whereas Mike O'Neill or somebody else who is more to the extreme end of, you know, 20 power but good plate discipline, the only adjustment you can really make is to get stronger, which that happens as you get older, you can get stronger, but that's there's just less to be able to to do when your skill set is is that extreme of a skill set. Uh, agreed. It's going to be, but I, again, we we're both kind of fascinated by Mike O'Neill and what's going to happen with him because he is and a Chris fascinating Davis. prospect. <laughs> um, but I do want to get a couple of our uh, questions here on Twitter before we uh, head off, including uh, this first one from from feeling kind of blue on Twitter. Uh, is is Dustin uh, Nosler? I hope I pronounced it right, Dustin. He asks uh, this one. There's another guy talking about fascinating guys. What did you guys think of uh, Julio Urias's debut with the Great Lakes, and what do you think it means for his development and timetable? To get people caught up to speed, if you missed it, uh, and am I pronouncing that right, Ben? Urias? Yeah, Julio Urias. He was a pitcher who signed out of the Mexican League. Well, pretty yeah. much all Mexican prospects are signed. Uh, from a Mexican League team, the Mexican League teams will sign these guys, you know, obviously before July 2nd when they turn 16, and then the team will pay the, they'll basically purchase the players' rights. The Major League team, like the Dodgers, will purchase the rights to Julio Arias when he's 16 years old from the Mexico City Red Devils. So when he was, a, I guess you can't technically call it an amateur player, but when he was before he had signed with the Dodgers, he was one of the top pitchers on the international market. Um, you know, I think there was, uh, you know, I, I would put guys like Mujica and, and uh, uh, Castillo who signed with the Rays and, and a couple other guys ahead of him. But uh, you know, his his stuff was really good. People people really liked him. He had good field pitch. Not a big guy, but uh, the stuff was solid and. Uh, I think he, he had a pretty advanced idea of, of what he was doing on the mound for a guy who's 16. I didn't expect him to be in the Midwest League, <laughs> uh, even if it was for you know a spot start or, or just for for one outing. But to yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that he was able to have that much success. He was a guy who was you know excited to see how he might do you know in, in the Arizona League. 
But for him to go out and, and have this kind of success, yeah, it's, it's only one start. But to be able to compete against guys who are probably anywhere from two to three or, or up to you know five or, or six years older than him in that league and have immediate success, that's, that's a promising sign. He, he definitely could be. I don't think this year he's going to take off or anything, but you know, within a, a couple of years, he's a guy who I could see being a, a breakout guy down the road. Uh, absolutely. I, I talked to a, a guy who was at the his, his outing, and he said, you know, he was impressive for a 22 year old, much less a 16 year old. I, I watched a little bit of it on MLB TV. First inning, he goes out and strikes out the side. That's pretty good when you're a 16 year old in the Midwest League. First inning you uh, have, you, you strike out the side. He was very limited on pitches because they weren't going to push him, which I think is, is very wise. Again, he's 16. Um, but uh, really good fastball really showed a pretty good changeup, a really good changeup too. It was a, it was impressive to see what he did. It was, as you mentioned, it was a spot start. It's not really uh, something where he's expected to, to be up in the Midwest League for much of the year. But I, I've been kind of blown away by, by what – Raul Alberto Mondesi's done this year as a 17-year-old in the uh, South Atlantic League. I didn't think I'd see a 16-year-old in a full-season league, really, in my lifetime. I, I can't can't think of another example of that. Uh, and I, I think a couple of people tried to research it, and it was tough to find anyone in. I don't know what you want to call the modern. Uh, you know, what's the modern minor league baseball history? But in the last 30, 40 years, which really, in, when it comes to minor league baseball, I think you can almost argue that. The last 30, 35 years is kind of the modern era with the new ballparks and all that. But it, it, no one can really find an example of a guy doing it at 16 like he did. It's definitely a, a name to keep an eye on, as you said. I don't think that this means it really speeds his timetable up that much. It just means that it, it means that they're really happy with what he's doing, and it also has got to give him a load of confidence as he heads back to uh, to extended uh, spring training with the Dodgers. That, But, man, that's... It's definitely uh, one of the, the more notable moments of, of May to see a 16-year-old go out and pitch very well, six strikeouts in three innings in the, in the Midwest League. Uh, we also have a question here from Ida Mora 74 Eduardo Mora, who asks, can George Springer be a top-20 prospect by the end of the season, five-tool player putting up big numbers? Ben, we talked about Springer some on the podcast before, but, but what do you think? Top-20 seems a little steep to me. I, I like him, but not that much. Yeah, if he, I, I would like him more if he wasn't striking out more than a quarter of the time. I think that's to, for he. He's got to be able to control more of the strike zone. I mean, yeah, he's 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 getting on base. He he has plenty of tools, and it's all working for him at the double A level. I think he's he's a good prospect. But if you're talking top twenty in the minor leagues, that's a I wouldn't say surefire. I would never use that word, but it's those are elite elite guys who very rarely don't pan out obviously with some exceptions that we've <laughs> mentioned on on the show already uh we'll see about them but I, I i don't see springer i just don't see the hit tool the way it projects for me i'm not comfortable enough putting him into the top 20 right now right i, I put him more as i think he's going to be a I think he has a very solid chance to be a solid big leaguer because he's the kind of guy, the power, the speed, you put it all together, it's it's going to play, 
but if he's a 240, 250 hitter with that, it plays, but then he's, you're talking more of a kind of a, a – your worry is, is does it get into Drew Stubbs cat, you know, territory where you got a guy who strikes out maybe too much for it to come into play. I, I think the good thing for him is, is when he does come up, if he does have some struggles, he does so many things well that beyond just the hit tool – that it is going to kind of give him a chance to get his, his feet because he's going to help you in other ways where you're going to be able to, you're going to be willing to live with some of the, uh, the more rough edges that he has. That being said, I do worry about the hit tool. You know, he's going to have to, he's going to have to make a little bit more contact as he climb, as he climbs the ladder. Again, he is, he is still relatively young. I, I think we're both, intrigued by and it's just top 20 is probably a little bit a little bit more than either of us are intrigued by and we're going to wrap it up today i got a uh, tweet here from jsap17 which jacob sappington uh cubs fan asks what on earth's wrong with starlin castro ben i'll ask you what on earth's wrong with starlin castro or is there a whole lot wrong with starlin castro yeah that's uh i mean it's it's a good question <laughs> I, I mean i think this is I, I do think that when you're talking about walks and all, Starlin Castro, that's not really ever been part of his game. I know he's still very young, but, but Theo Epstein did come out this week and say, hey, we we got to have guys getting on base more. It's hard to make those adjustments at the big league level when you're already struggling, but but it is true that you know with Castro, it, uh, a little higher on base would be nice, but really it comes down to he's going to, again, you got to hit before you can do that because you got to show that you're <laughs> you're a threat and and really that's not been the, the it's it's another guy who example i guess 42 that that this is you know this the major leagues are it's very hard to kind of keep it up if starlin castro just kept doing what he did as a 21 year old 307 341 40 32 You'd be thrilled. I still think he's fine. I mean, it's just he's having a you know not a great start to the season. But at the same time, on a Cubs team that that needs him to be very good, yeah, he hadn't been very good this year. Again, he's 23. If I'm a Cubs fan, I'm less, a lot less worried about starting Castro than I am about a, a whole lot of other guys in the lineup. But it, it is definitely true that he seems like he's regressing a little bit, not making the step forward that you hope to see in a guy who's, who's kind of coming into what should be his peak his peak years. Yeah, I think the start that he's had is, is disappointing. I see him as a guy or I have seen him as a guy who I think could, you know, contend for a batting title and, and I think there's a lot more power in there down the road than he's than he's shown so far. So that's why I think this has been you know, a really disappointing start. But I don't think it's something long term that I'm too I, I don't have a long term concern about it. Yeah, you know, he's you know 50 games he struggled we also have about you know 2,000 plate appearances of his in the big leagues where you know he has been you know a league average or better hitter not just for a shortstop uh you know for a shortstop he's he's above average uh as as a major league hitter for you know for the last three years it it's it's been a rough couple of months for him but I think that all the underlying you know tools are still there it's it's still a really short swing he he knows how to you know put the bat to the ball. That's that's an advanced skill that he has. But yeah, I, to me, yeah, you're right. He, he's never going to be a guy who's going to be a huge on base guy. And that's why I'd like to see 
you know, power come out a little bit more from him, be able to get a little bit more value there. But I do think that, you know, by the end of the season, I, I think his numbers are going to turn around. Yeah. So, well, again, thanks to uh, for all the Twitter questions. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. But, again, thanks for the download also. That's why we do this. Uh, we, we appreciate all the uh, the kind comments we've had on Twitter and all about the podcast. If you want to, feel free to give us a review on, on iTunes as well. Uh, we all always appreciate that. But And we also wanted to thank, again, our sponsors, DraftDay.com. And wanted to remind you, DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play, with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is 3 of 5 correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter promo code BAPODCAST, and they'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use the promo code BAPODCAST. Again, that's DraftDay.com, and we, we thank you to uh, DraftDay.com, our sponsors. Ben, thanks again for, uh, for all the, uh, the fun baseball talk this week, as always. Thanks again to the download. We will be back again next week, although we'll be, we'll be recording it. We may be recording a little bit earlier because uh, Thursday is going to be a little busy with the draft. So it'll, we might, you might get a little bit the podcast a little bit early next week. We'll tweet it out and all if, that, if that's the case. So you can find out at JJCoop36, my Twitter handle, Ben Badler's. Uh, at Ben Badler or also at uh, at Baseball America. So again, thanks everyone for the download. Have a great rest of the week and enjoy your baseball this weekend.